Hi everybody, my name is Samantha Staniforth. I have the good fortune to be an American living in the Heartland Scotch whiskey producing region, Speyside, along the banks of the River Spey. I will be reporting to you from the ultimate Scotch destination, the world's only malt whiskey trail. We will be bringing you insight into the whiskey brands you love, revealing the secrets of malt whiskey country, and giving you a flavor of the very best of our home in the beautiful Murray Speyside region of Scotland. Welcome to the Malt Whiskey Trail podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for joining. The Malt Whiskey Trail podcast is produced every fortnight and is best enjoyed, responsibly of course, with a dram, the traditional measure of scotch. Today I'm visiting the only cooperage in the world that has a visitor center. But it's no ordinary visitor center. It's a visitor center with a Guinness World Record. I speak to Andrew Russell, general manager, to learn how the wood makes the whiskey and what the role of a cooper is in this record-breaking whiskey center of excellence. Now, let's get into my conversation with Andrew. A, a cooperage is basically a place where we do various things with casks, generally for the whiskey industry, but also for other spirits and beer industries. And the biggest part of what we do is repair and rejuvenation, where we'll receive casks, either from customers or ones we purchase ourselves. We'll fix the defects in them, whether it be the staves, the hoops, the heads. Uh, as far as rejuvenation is concerned, we'll then brush or scrape or shave off the inside of the cask and retoast or refire to give the cask an extended life. How long has the cooperage actually been here? Well, Spacer Cooperage is a company uh, started in 1947 by the Taylor family. And they moved to this site in 1990, 1991, and then they opened the visitor center for 25 years this year. So we've been they've been here ever since. And in uh, April 2008, they sold the family business to Francois Ferrer Group, or as we're now called TFF Group, who are a French multinational cooperage company and they are in fact now the largest cooperage group in the world. What makes Speyside Cooperage actually different? We are the only cooperage with a visitor centre, which makes us unique. Uh, people can actually come in on a daily basis and watch us work and see what we do uh, and see where the flavour and colour comes from. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes okay. Oak so special? Oak, uh, I mean, there are, as you can see outside, there are many trees around the world which make it all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been lots of trials and trial and error down through the years, but historically oak has been the one to use, and one of the main reasons is oak doesn't contain any resins or anything that will take the spirit. Also, oak uh, is very permeable, and it allows the spirit to breathe in and out, which is what and you get the term the angel share. And the oak, when you, you try it, it will act as a filter and take out the harsh notes from the spirit. It also takes, it, uh, as I say, it breathes back and forth, and it is also liquid tight. There are very few species of wood that can do that, mm-hmm. if any. Uh, there are bottles made from maple, from cherry oak, uh, and lots of acacia, and lots of different things. But most of those are actually sprayed with paraffin wax on the inside. So oh, okay. Where oak is not. Oak yeah. is 100% natural. Can you tell us a little bit about how the wood affects the flavors of whiskey? Well. I mean, from start, there are many components that actually give the whiskey flavor, whether it be the type of barley, the type of wheat, the, the water, uh, the fermentation process, the okay. yeast, and the actual distilling process. But uh, it, it is no secret that the bulk of the flavor, 75 to 80% of it, even more, uh, comes from the wood and from the oak. 
and de depending on the different types of oak that you use, you can get different flavors. Uh, the the largest type of oak used in the in the Scotch whiskey industry is a maple or quite salva, and it gives off a lovely sweet vanilla coconut flavors. You then have French or European oak, Spanish oak, slightly spicier notes, mm. more oranges, more leathery flavor notes. Obviously, some some casks are used multiple times. How would it affect the the whiskey being made if there was a liquid in it previously, like rum or sherry? Oh, you, you can't uh, you can't get. Uh, people will take. I mean, the most used bottle uh, into into Scotland is ex bourbon bottles, primarily because of the greatest law in the world that uh, Americans are only allowed to use them once. Uh, <laughs> at the moment, uh, that is essentially one of the big backbones of the Scottish whisky industry is built upon. Uh, you take them in once, and you will get uh, those are good bottles. They've only been used once, so you've still got a lot of extractive to come out of the oak. But you'll also get a lot of uh, extracted from the bourbon, which is soaked in for four to five years, uh, and it gives the flavour that sweet, sweet vanilla coconut flavours, which people like. Uh, other a uh, previous previous contents bottles, I'll call them. You have sherry's, ports, and everything else. Everyone uses them, either some for new fillings, but predominantly to give a finish. And sweetness is generally what people are looking for. If you take a, a new cask and you you, you fill it, it, it you will. You'll put a particular type of spirit into it to get a particular flavour note. Uh, and you're looking for different flavours for different things, whether the cask has been filled once, twice, three times or four times. You will be looking for certain levels of flavour and colour. But however, the more flavour, the more fills that it has, it dilutes that and it falls off. You could then take a cask after it's been four times filled and give it to us and we repair it and rejuvenate it and you may get another two to three fills out of it. So you extend the life. It's a much more cost-effective uh, way of getting some flavors than it is buying casks. Well, one thing that we know has happened recently is that you did the Guinness World Record for fastest cask made. How that is putting you on the map even more? It, it, it certainly helped us. Uh, Julian uh, came up with the original idea and approached the Guinness World Records probably over a year ago. And by the time we went, it, she went back and forth with him, and she and I talked about different things. Uh, and it, it took a long time to get the licenses and a lot of planning and everything else and it all came together a few weeks ago uh, and it was a very good day for us. Uh, David McKenzie who set the record, uh, 3 minutes and 3 seconds if I remember rightly. Crazy. Uh, and the previous record was about 7 minutes I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, Some, that, that's somewhere kind of that line. normal time. Yeah. Normal time for them. <laughs> uh, and the, all of the guys have been running all less than 4 minutes mm -hmm. uh, and all of their casks held. They all passed the test, which was very gratifying from our point of view because uh, I was having nightmares about all four of them failing, the whole event falling flat. But so it was, it, it was very well, it was very well done. There was a lot of work in here from everyone, all the staff here, uh, all the coopers, all the laborers, general workers. We put it all put a tremendous effort to make the day work. We've gotten a lot of recognition. Uh, our uh, small video on our Facebook page is. I thought they had circa 100,000 hits uh, or viewings uh, and we go live I think very very soon on the Guinness World Records. Uh, so the actual uh, amount of inquiries and whatnot of it has been phenomenal. Uh, from our point of view it's more for the visitor centre than the actual coverage itself. Yeah. Uh, we generally have a, a pretty fixed uh, customer list. You know, the Scotch whisky industry is not that big. Everyone knows we're here. Well, we will end on that note, but um, okay. Andrew, thank you very much for no, taking no with problem. us today. Okay. Podcast thank listeners. You.
Have you ever heard of the age-old practice of blackening? While I was at the Cooperage, I couldn't miss the opportunity to find out exactly what it means from Cooperage manager Malcolm Monroe, who's been a master craftsman and Cooper for over 20 years. I get to the bottom of this age-old tradition and rite of passage for every Cooper. Now, let's hear from Malcolm. Bayside Cooperage, I've been here now for 22 and a bit year. I started here and I was in a, a Cooper on the bench up until about, oh, that was 2010. And then I took over the apprentices and then the manager retired, so I got offered his job, so here I am. So now you're the Cooperage manager. That's correct, yeah. Can you let us know a bit about the apprenticeships here and what the being an apprentice entails? The apprenticeship's a four-year thing. You start in and around the age of 16, 17-year-old. You probably spend a few months labouring around the cooperage so you get up to speed where everything is and build up your strength a bit. Then you'll come into the cooperage and get on the hand tools for a couple of years up until the beginning of the third year, then you'll do a trade test. And after the trade test is passed, we then put you onto the piecework rate which is on the bench the same as the rest of the guys for the, your final year and then on the last day you get blackened and get rolled around the cooperage. That's just a tradition we've got. Can mm. you describe what a blackening is? Well on the last day of your time we catch the, the apprentice and then he gets some of his clothes removed and then he gets tarred and feathered and rolled around the cooperage in a cask and, and drink whiskey and so on and it's all good fun. Just a tradition. Is that something that the visitors get to see during We do, yep, yeah, uh, we do stage it. Visitors are, they get to see it. Uh. So after an apprentice um, gets their trade and qualification, they then become a cooper. Yep. For those that may not be aware, what exactly is a cooper and what do they do? In the main role at Speyside Cooperage is a cooper. We just, we're repairing and rejuvenating casks, which means taking a cask in and looking for defects in the cask and then obviously repairing it. And the other option is we repair it, then we rejuve it, which is de-char, rechar the cask, and then we'll finish the cask for there. So when you come to do a tour on the Speyside Cooperage, I believe you have the classic tour and the VIP tour. Mm. What is it that you see in either of those tours? The classic tour, you're in the viewing gallery, and you can watch the video link for the de-char, rechar process. But the VIP tour, you get doing into the workshop among other guys, and then you get to see the DHR HR first hand and then you get to see up in the yard to see the stock that we've got sitting about. And I think at the end of it you might even get a wee tram. <laughs> well thank you very much for your time today. Okay. I appreciate you speaking with me. That's the time we have today. Thanks for joining. Come back often and feel free to leave a review and add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at The MWT, Instagram and Facebook at The Malt Whiskey Trail for latest news, offers, and some exciting promotions. All links are in the show notes.